0: Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hi, everybody. And it's everybody's here and more everybody's online. So we're very happy to be with you today. I'm Gloria Duffy. Uh, I'm the president and CEO of the Commonwealth Club. And I'd like to welcome you all to today's virtual program of the Commonwealth Club. Homelessness has grown tremendously during the pandemic. And we see it, obviously, here in San Francisco. We see it in San Jose. Los Angeles has, I think, something like 120,000 individuals who are unhoused now. So what has been a difficult uh, problem and issue for our society is even more so now. And it occurred to me, hearing people talk about homelessness, people talk about major public policy solutions. Let's build X housing units. Let's um, spend billions of dollars doing this. Those solutions take a lot of time. They're not comprehensive solutions in and of themselves. Uh, And sometimes there's resistance in communities to accepting housing and... um, the question arises: What can be? Where are the families of people experiencing homelessness? What can be done on a more individual level? So um, I'm very pleased that that's the the inspiration behind today's program. Uh, what can all of us do uh, to address homelessness? Um, if there are over six hundred thousand unhoused individuals in the United States, then there are theoretically six hundred thousand family members, friends, and others who might do something to help. So I'm very pleased to introduce our guest today, Kevin Adler. Kevin is a sociologist, a social entrepreneur, and the founder and CEO of an organization called Miracle Messages. Uh, Miracle Messages, and I won't get too far into this because I know you'll be talking about it, Kevin, uh, uh, tackles homelessness by rekindling relationships And reconstructing support systems for individuals experiencing homelessness. Uh, The tagline is Everyone is someone's somebody. Inspired by his uncle Mark, Kevin Adler launched Miracle Messages in 2014. Growing up, he watched his beloved and loyal uncle, who suffered from schizophrenia, battle homelessness on and off for 30 years. When Mark passed away at the age of 50, Kevin's family ensured that Mark's life would never be forgotten within their own family. But Kevin realized that while his uncle was lucky enough to have a family to remember and support him, many thousands of others living on the streets were not connected to their family members or friends. Kevin and Miracle Messages volunteers offer homeless individuals a chance to reconnect with their family members and friends. And I won't go into more detail again because uh, Kevin will be talking about this. Kevin and I will focus today on how homelessness can be addressed on the individual and familial level. And this topic is a uh, personal one for me as it is for Kevin because I have a family member who's battled homelessness, Uh, For many years, pretty much all of her life, over the past 15 years, since our family decided to take responsibility for her, we've developed a system that supports her with a home and other basic needs. Um, So in a a way, these are bookends. Kevin's organization helps to reconnect people uh, with their family members experiencing homelessness. And case in point, once my family and our my sibling were reconnected 15, 16 years ago, then we have some experience in what can be done and what what happened then. So we're about to have a conversation that reimagines how we fight homelessness as we discuss how Miracle Messages has reunited hundreds of families. So please join me in giving a warm welcome to my friend Kevin Adler. Thank
1: you. Uh, Thank you. Gloria. It's an honor to be here, uh, having come full circle and started as a, a fellow, as my first job after college, working at the Commonwealth Club. So it's really a special treat to be here with all of you today. Um, so I wanted to uh, to really begin uh, talking about, you know, steps we can all take to end homelessness by sharing a little bit about my journey, an uh, uh, issue that I really didn't understand uh, other than through the eyes of my Uncle Mark at the Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner table. So, uh, you know, that's my family and that's me there uh, at the (laughs) bottom left. Um, And that's my mom, my grandparents, my brother. And in the middle there, that's my Uncle Mark. Now, you know, Mark was my favorite member of my extended family. Uh, He remembered every birthday. Uh, The year before he died, he sent me an eagle bandana in the mail along with a birthday card every single year. Uh, Mark also suffered from schizophrenia and lived on and off the streets for about 30 years in Santa Cruz. But, you know, I never looked at Mark as a homeless man because he was my beloved uncle. And it wasn't until uh, he passed away at the age of 50 that I really just started thinking with, I had a conversation with my dad, what what are the ways that we think of Mark as, you know, our beloved family member that I don't think about? when I walk by someone experiencing homelessness in San Francisco, where I was living and working at the time, you know, when I see a person in a situation like this, I'm not necessarily seeing a person at all. I'm seeing a problem to be solved. And what began really thinking about how can we use stories and, 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 and help our unhoused neighbors, maybe share their stories in a way that could help us better relate to the experiences that they go through. Uh, So I had this, you know, thought at the uh, gravesite with my dad, this really powerful father-son conversation. Um, And on the way home, I I realized I was learning more about my friends and acquaintances on Facebook than I did about my own uncle at his gravesite. So I got this question on my heart that changed my life, uh, which, you know, as a person of faith, how would Jesus use a smartphone? Um it just seemed that there were interesting ways to use technology uh as given the values that I have that were not being promulgated in the world. And I wanted to, to really reflect on that. And my answer to that uh came in the form of a project, a storytelling project, uh called Homeless GoPro, where for a course of a year twenty four individuals experiencing homelessness volunteered to wear GoPro cameras around their chests and narrate their experience of what life is like on the streets. Uh, yeah, my framing of it was I just walked by you, you're sitting there, you're still there, what's going on in your mind, how are you feeling, you know? And this is actually one of the first clips that uh, was recorded through that uh, storytelling project uh, using the GoPro cameras. My name's Adam
0: Reichert, and I'm living in San Francisco, and um, I've been almost on and off for like almost six years now. For most people homeless, I hear it from friends I see it, don't have any type of real interaction that means anything to you when you're homeless
1: because people treat you so much differently. About 90% of these people they'd care less about standing in front of them or not, you know? I mean, most of them would not want to see me at they would rather not see me at all out there. And it, when I say that, I don't mean see me out here being homeless,
0: they would just rather not see me out here at all, you know? And it's, I guess, the way the side is turning where they look at me like, I'm below them, or something like that, and they don't realize it. Like I said earlier, they, you know, a lot of people what I know right here in this neighborhood, in the Castro, i living paycheck to paycheck. Wonder if they're gonna be housing next week. How you doing, folks? Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm trying to get a hotel. I'll get a paper.
1: You know what I mean? So I get hundreds of hours of footage back, similar to that. And there were two things that really stuck out. First. Over and over again, I'd see children walk by a person experiencing homelessness and inevitably that child would tug on their mom or dad's sleeve and point and ask questions and move towards them. And, you know, and half the time the parent would scold the child, say bad, dangerous, impolite. You don't do that. And the other half the time they almost let the child guide the, the parent. And walk, and and I just always wondered, you know, 20 years later, who's going to grow up to be a more trusting adult. So one thing is how we raise our kids. But another thing that I heard in different versions over and over again was this quote. I never realized I was homeless when I lost my housing, only when I lost my family and friends. When I heard this, it made sense, but I'd never heard something like this articulated by any service providers, uh, you know, any city officials. And so not knowing what I didn't know, I basically was like, all right, I'm just going to walk down Market Street, downtown San Francisco, go up to every single person I see who's experiencing homelessness and say, do you have any family or friends you'd like to reconnect with? Uh, And so uh, December 2014, uh, that's how I met Jeffrey. Uh, Jeffrey uh, walked by him the first time. He was talking to himself. I, you know, assumed he wasn't wanting to talk to me, Uh, you know, bottle of alcohol at his side. And uh, something, you know, I just was compelled to come back. I said I was going to talk to everyone. And we started a conversation. And the minute I asked about his family, he looked me right in the eye for the first time. He said, I, I haven't seen my family in a long time. And so uh, I said, would you like to record a video to your niece and your nephew, your sister, your dad? He said, yes, I would. And uh, this is that, uh, that video clip. My name is Jeffrey Michael Gotchall. I was born August 7, 1969. In a small town in Pennsylvania named Torrington. The are there any friends that you would like to send a holiday uh, message?
0: In Pennsylvania. In, in Pennsylvania. Carolina, Pennsylvania, if you can. Well, like what? What are their names?
1: My dad, Harold.
0: What would you like to say to your dad?
1: I intend to go home and see you again someday. So I have this video on my phone. Go home that night. And uh, if you want to take a guess what I did that night, the answer is actually absolutely nothing. <laughs> and uh, I didn't actually know if I could trust him. And I, I even having had this conversation, was still so uh, so skeptical of what I had heard. But a week goes by. It's Christmas Eve and uh i said i got to do something with it and then i probably did what a lot of you might have done immediately which is you you go on social media found a facebook group connected to his hometown ended up posting the video there and within one hour it was shared hundreds of times it made the local news that night classmates started commenting saying hey i went to high school with jeffrey i work in construction does he need a job Uh, i work at the congressman's office does he need health care And in the first 20 minutes of the post, his sister got tagged. That's his high school yearbook photo. And it turned out that Jeffrey had been a missing person for uh, 12 years uh, and uh, disconnected for 22. This is his sister. I've
0: many people trying to do what I can to get you home and the help that you need once you're here. My holiday message to you is this if you don't give up, I won't either.
1: And shortly after that, they were able to reconnect on a phone call first time in 22 years and then later in person. Um, And so at that point, I uh, decided to leave my job in the education technology space and start doing this work full time uh, because I knew Jeffrey wasn't the only one and that this shouldn't be happening. So, uh, you know, fast forward to today, it's not just me wandering around the streets anymore in one city. We have volunteers all across the country. Uh, partner organizations, individuals that self-refer to our services. Uh, And we believe at Miracle Messages that no one should go through homelessness alone. I wish I could end that sentence a word earlier. No one should go through homelessness. But today in the world we live in, that's part of the world, uh, unfortunately. But no one should go through that experience alone and isolated. And uh, what we've really realized at Miracle Messages is that there's a form of poverty we don't talk about, which is relational poverty. Relational poverty is a very important form of poverty that's overlooked by a lot of providers, but is linked to better health outcomes uh, and is a primary tool for ending homelessness. In San Francisco alone, uh, 60% of successful shelter exits from San Francisco, 60% of folks who leave the shelter and get off the streets is as a result of family and friend reunification. Uh, So it's a very underutilized tool in many communities and even within uh, our community here. So why are people disconnected? Why, why, why is there relational poverty? Uh, You know, we've really identified three key areas. There's digital literacy barriers, access to a phone, internet charging. You lose a phone number, you lose an address, Uh, bureaucratic barriers, you know, where uh, under HIPAA laws, shelters can't confirm or deny whether a family member, an individual is at a facility. So you end up with missing person flyers on the bulletin boards of many shelters. Saying, have you seen my son or daughter? I can't find them. Can you please be in touch? Uh, and, but the biggest reason of all is the emotional barriers. Shame, stigma, fear, self-loathing. Um, that keeps many people experiencing homelessness disconnected from loved ones. And interesting enough, when we think about that, that's actually also a reason we're disconnected from them. Because as disconnected as some individuals who are unhoused are from their loved ones, we are to them. And the reason I, I believe is that we don't understand the experiences. We can't relate. Uh, there's a stigma. There's a distrust. There's a paternalism that sets in. And so at Miracle Messages, we really try to shatter that. And we do that with our core values, where we meet people where they're at. We have general managers that we hire in places like South Florida, Gabby Cordell, who help people on the streets reconnect to loved ones. Uh, we use technology for good. Uh, We have a a mobile app, a a paper form. We have a hotline, 1-800-MISS-YOU. So anyone who's experiencing homelessness or a volunteer on their behalf, call 1-800-MISS-YOU and uh, and, and reach one of our volunteer operators who then help uh, locate the loved ones, deliver the messages. Uh, And we also try to treat each person as someone's son or daughter. Imagine if they were our own somebody. Uh, And this is a group of our volunteer digital detectives who meet every week, Virtually, this is a rare in person meeting, and uh, make phone calls, write letters to do digital sleuthing for good. So, if any of you out there have a skill set of uh, being maybe digitally uh, savvy, we'd love to have you as a digital detective. So, the result of this is we've reconnected over 500 families uh, over the last uh, seven years. 80% of reunions have led to a positive outcome, 20% led to housing. Uh, average time disconnected of 15 years. The average time homeless is about seven years. A uh, person like Wayne, whose uh, who's niece, uh, Jasmine, um, had been looking for him every week on the streets of San Francisco. He recorded a message. They were able to reconnect, and she was able to get him into housing in the Bay Area. Um, but, you know, it raises a few questions that maybe I'll, I'll kind of leave and share just as a, as a highlight of a few of our newer programs You know, we know relational poverty is a form of poverty, but what if family is not part of the solution? Uh, And one individual at the very beginning of the pandemic, I think, put this so just I I couldn't forget this quote. You don't need to teach me about social distancing. That's my life already. So what do you do when someone doesn't have family or friends or family and friends are part of the problem, not part of the solution? Um, And, uh, you know, in case of Elizabeth, she was a teacher in the Bay Area, you know, disconnected from loved ones. Uh, Got uh, diagnosed with colon cancer, wasn't able to teach any longer, and became homeless for the first time in her adult life. So we paired Elizabeth with a friend. We now have a a phone buddy program called Miracle Friends, which all of you are able to join if you're interested. It's a great way to get involved in this issue, uh, where you have weekly phone calls and text messages with an unhoused neighbor. Kind of like a, a big brothers, big sisters for the homeless, without the hierarchy, hopefully. Um, And what we're finding is through those friendships, just incredible relationships emerge uh, and problems get solved and people walk the journey uh, together. Uh, So there's the buddy system. uh, And then with trust comes the desire to invest in people. Uh, And uh, and so uh, as a result, we've piloted uh, a universal basic income for people experiencing homelessness where we've been handing out five hundred dollars a month. Uh, To an initial cohort of 14 individuals experiencing homelessness who are in our phone buddy program who are nominated by their volunteers to receive $500 a month for six months. Uh, Elizabeth was in that program. She was able to get housed as a result of it. Uh, We've seen the vast majority of individuals use those funds, car repairs, child care, food, savings, paying down debt. Um, And in Elizabeth's case, the first thing she did with the money is she made a donation to our organization, Miracle Messages. And when I asked her, why did you do this? This was, you know, not necessary. She said, um, I didn't do it for you. I did it for myself to once again, feel the dignity of being able to support the causes that I believe in, you know, and that, and that to me is just emblematic of the character of so many of our unhoused house neighbors that, that we, we sometimes miss because we are just defining them by their lack of one physical need. Uh, and so the result of miracle money as a pilot has been 50% of individuals that we've given $500 a month to, uh, have been able to get stable housing as a direct result. I don't know how I'd get stable housing for $500 a month in the Bay area, but our unhoused neighbors have the resources, connections have been doing this kind of research, uh, you know, senior housing SROs doubling up with friends, and as a result, just a little bit of money has made an incredible difference. Small sample size. We're talking, you know, a dozen people. Uh, but uh, for that number, we're, we're looking to expand it. So really, that's, uh, that's an overview of Miracle Messages and our programs, Miracle Friends, Miracle Money. Um, and, uh, you know, as kind of a takeaway I hope that everyone takes really as the core thing that everyone can do around this issue. Is remember that our unhoused neighbors are not problems to be solved. Homelessness is a problem and it disproportionately affects people experiencing homelessness. They have the most vested in the solution of this, but they are not problems. They are people to be loved. Uh, And I think five simple steps, what I call to be brave. uh, It's an acronym there is brave, befriend an unhoused neighbor, being able to listen respectfully, have a conversation to remember that everyone is someone, somebody you know, most common question we get is what do I say to an unhoused individual? I don't know what to say. If we don't see that person as defined by their lack of housing, but we see them as someone's son or daughter, someone, somebody, we actually know how to interact as humans. And so I think changing our mindset and being able to see someone as someone, somebody advocating for housing of all types in our communities, um, volunteering with a local nonprofit. If you want to do that with miracle messages as a digital detective or a phone buddy, we'd love to have you. Uh, Or engaging directly uh, in having socks, water, hygiene kits, or 1-800-MISS-YOU hotline cards, which I believe all of you have on your seats, uh, that you'll be able to give out. Uh, So, and if you're interested in getting involved in our work, that's a little bit of information, but uh, I'll leave it at that. So, thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Kevin. We'll get back to you momentarily. I already have questions, which, speaking of technology, are coming in on my watch uh, to ask you from our, our audience online and our audience here. Um, I'm going to give a quick description of what can happen when a, an unhoused individual is reunited with their family members. And... Um, I will go through this pretty quickly. There's a lot more detail. It's something I've been living for the last 15 years. Uh, but just, just as an example, uh, it did take becoming, uh, getting in touch first. Let's see if I can, there we go. Um, so, um, I have a family member and I'm not going to tell you that it's a sister. I won't tell you where she lives or what her name is. She's in another state. Uh, and, um, She, my father, um, had substance abuse and mental illness issues, and she went to live with him when she was a child, as opposed to the rest of my siblings and me who stayed with my mom. She had a very rough time, and um, they had had a falling out. Uh, He supported her for many years. Uh, She's now 60 years old, Uh, and when he stopped supporting her, She was on her own, Uh, and um, she lived in a chicken coop. Uh, She lived in someone's barn. Uh, She slept on the couch of some friends and just generally sort of wandered around uh, and um, did not have housing. And um, so after my father died, one of my other siblings and I uh, got in touch with her, found her, uh, or we, we sort of knew where she was, uh, she actually was in jail. And um, I signed up for something called Vinelink, hmm. which uh, sends a, an alert to your cell phone when a person you list as of interest uh, gets out of jail. She's had many trips to the jail for various things some of them things like dui on a bicycle and some of them it's you know typically things that happen to somebody who doesn't have stable housing or a job or whatever and some some more serious she's has some issues and um so i think of vine link then as like miracle messages today so as she was being released from jail I got a ping on my cell phone. So I knew where she was and called the jail and talked to the administrator there who told me where she was, that she had gone out to collect bottles and cans to try to get some money to feed herself and so on, which is apparently what she did when she got out of jail usually, and uh, but she was coming back. So we were able to locate her and actually talk to her at the jail, and we um, took some emergency measures. And um, that included uh, sending her to a motel and renting a motel room uh, for immediate housing so she didn't have to go back out on the street or to a chicken coop or someone's barn uh, after uh, she got out of jail. Uh, and um, then also um, calling the grocery store nearby and setting up an account where she could charge food at the grocery store. Um, One thing I will say, um, and that's why I think what Kevin is doing is so important, the difference between public programs and a family member is trust. Hmm. No matter how disconnected my sister had become from my other siblings and me, and my mom, who's still living... Um, there's still that shared experience of childhood. I remember the little girl who used to come into my bedroom in the middle of the night. I taught her to play chess, which a cousin, older cousin had taught me, and she would come and we would play chess during the night. She was very smart and she started beating me very early. So I remember those experiences and so did my other sister who was who is my partner in this. And so there's that trust and even though my my sister who we support has had a lot of difficulty and a lot of problems and been in a lot of trouble there's, she still trusts us. She may not say so, but there is that shared memory of childhood and and common experiences. So um, I think that's why this works in some ways better than the sort of the revolving door of the services um, set up for those experiencing homelessness. So um, those were emergency measures and she did go along with them. She did cooperate. And, um, I sort of looked at this at $69 a night for a motel room. And this is in an area, it's a small town, housing is cheap. And so I called a realtor and, uh, you know, to find out what it would take to buy a little house for her, um, it has to be a separate house, which I will get into in a little while, just in terms of her ability to relate to people. Um, but um, so, so I'll get to that in a second. Um, we, so we put together a package of long-term support for her, and it is in effect today. It's something I work on every day in one way or another, as does my other sister. Uh, it includes uh, transportation, transportation, which has varied from her friends driving her around, she's not able to have a driver's license, Uh, bicycles, taxi, transit. There's a transit van service in her town. Uh, It involves public benefits, which we had to arrange for. It's not something she's able to organize for herself. So SNAP benefits, that's food stamps, the current um, modern name for food stamps, Public health care in her state, there is a public health care program, which we got her qualified for. Um, And eventually, 13 years into it, after about two years ago, she got Social Security. That's another tale. Um, Communication is key. Um, Cell phone, um, and they've been lost, destroyed, and um, so there have been... Various cell phones and, of course, a landline once she had her own housing. Um, so um, and a cashless system of accounts. We have provided her with cash, but unfortunately, there's some substance abuse issues. And so it does not last very long. Uh, so we have an account at the grocery store. We have an account at the drugstore. Uh, other accounts, obviously, her utilities are all set up in my other sisters and my names and we did purchase a house in this very low cost housing area uh, for one hundred and forty three thousand uh, dollars. The first slide was an actual that I showed here was an actual picture of the house uh, It's three bedrooms and one bath um, it's a more we put 20% down, have an 80%, had an 80% mortgage. It costs $850 a month, which my sister, other sister and I split. Um, it's a detached home because she needs privacy and not to be in close proximity with other people. She needs to be able to uh, have her own environment around her. Um, it's fenced because she has pets, uh, sometimes a number of them. Uh, Family members all went together to furnish the house. We have the utilities in our name and pay those. Um, The complete cost of this entire system, including the housing, uh, utilities, food, although she now gets uh, some public benefits uh, with food, uh, is $18,000 a year. Um, The legal and financial mechanisms for this are a special needs trust that's a special form of a trust that allows family or others to provide uh, support financial support without interfering with public benefits so it, it enables you to do private support plus the public benefits the public benefits are not sufficient. Um, some of the funds come from my sister, some from me, and some from my mom, and it is a tax-free gift from my mom, the portion that she provides every year. Uh, So on her tax return, I mean, my sister doesn't have to pay any taxes on this. It's a cash-free gift. So again, um, we as family members have to hold the ownership and the accounts and so on, uh, she doesn't have any credit or any ability to to hold those. Um, there are issues. Um, there are substance abuse and resultant health issues. We have a neighbor who keeps an eye out, and if she hasn't seen my sister for a, few, a day or two, she lets us know. She sends us a text, uh, and then we can take appropriate action. Sometimes it's to get my sister to medical care uh, or something else she may need. Um, there There are trips through the criminal justice system, but there are a lot fewer, a lot fewer since two thousand and six since we put this system in place. I think there have been two there were probably forty before that and uh, some many of them involved misperceptions or um, inability to understand what her issues were um, the we have to keep in touch with her to find out what her needs are and what she what we can do for her. Um, the communication is sometimes difficult it's a mixture of abuse and appreciation. Uh, this is just her her way, but we've been doing this for fifteen years and uh, you know we're always able to find out what's needed and and what what we can do. House upkeep is a challenge sometimes, uh, but again, it gets done um there are some issues about interactions with others. And there are questions as she gets older, and sometimes her health is not good, what are the next steps for caring for her? We're, we're sort of aware that this may not work forever uh, for her to live on her own independently in a house. And, uh, but for now, it's, it's still working. Um, I'm going to end with a couple of comparative costs. $18,000 total. That includes the mortgage and, and all the other costs for her annually. Santa Clara County, where I live, spent $3 billion between 2007 and 2012 for services for 104,206 homeless residents. The average cost per year for Santa Clara County was $520 million. Now, that includes health care and includes jail and includes policing. It includes uh, a lot of other uh, emergency room care, et cetera. Um, It it may include other benefits. In a given year, there are about 2,800 persistently homeless residents in Santa Clara County. Just to break this down, each costs the county about $83,000 per year. So compare that to the $18,000, it's very minimal. Now, our family is able to do this, and we have gotten whatever public benefits we could for her. Uh, So uh, the cost to us is supportable, especially split three ways. But it has raised certain questions to me about public policy. Um, Should there be, not every family could afford this, even when establishing touch with their homeless a family member experiencing homelessness, what kind of a support system could there be for families or friends to care for their loved ones experiencing homelessness, tax deductions, tax credits for families, some kind of special social security provisions, um, other systemic adjustments to make this more possible. So, Kevin and Miracle Messages are doing what they can. We've found a way to do something for our family. Could this be fostered more on a societal basis rather than these gigantic costs that counties and other entities are experiencing? Should we? Should there be some uh, public policy engineering mm-hmm. to make it more possible to have individual or family solutions for people experiencing homelessness? So I'm going to end there and um, turn to questions. Uh, we we do have some here, and I also have some that have been coming in, and so um, I have questions for you, Kevin how has COVID-19 changed your approach to fighting homelessness?
1: Hmm. Uh, We, when COVID-19 hit, we suspended our operations uh, on the streets, but 90% of what we do does not happen on the streets. So, you know, we were able to continue funding our two uh, formerly homeless community ambassadors, uh, Brian and Beverly, who do outreach in, in uh, union square area of san francisco uh, we did the initial thing where we procured hand sanitizer for other um, agencies uh, there's such a need for ppe at the very beginning uh, but you know more fundamentally we were asking this question that uh, what can we do sustainably that's so aligned with our mission given the changing circumstances and i've for a long time wanted to find a way to address the relational poverty needs of folks who don't have family or friends Uh, you know a a person who's coming out of an abusive home environment uh, a child who is you know unsafe because of their uh, sexual orientation and have to leave the home there are many very valid instances uh, where reconnecting to family is not part of the solution And so about a year, uh, about a year ago, um, I guess May or June of 2020, uh, the city contacted us and gave us this opportunity where they said, we have these shelter in place hotels that we're moving thousands of people experiencing homelessness into, but we're essentially, uh, have no plan other than getting them into the housing. And what I would say, providing the base of Maslow's hierarchy of needs food, water, shelter, clothing, and temporary housing. Uh, But we know that people thrive when they have more than just the base of needs met. We all need to feel loved. We all need to feel belonging. Uh, The minute that there's a problem in our families or in our own lives, who do we turn to? And that kind of informal support system can make a huge difference for us as housed people, similarly with our unhoused neighbors. So uh, we were able to pilot uh, the Miracle Friends Buddy Program uh, in the shelter-in-place hotels. Uh, That was, you know, pretty widely embraced uh, by individuals, um, you know, in those hotels. Um, And it allowed a level of one-to-one informal problem-solving is kind of the word for it, that it sounds like, you know, Gloria, you and your family have been providing to your sister for many, many years. Um, We were finding that just having one person who goes to bed at night and wakes up in the morning thinking about your well-being, who isn't a government caseworker or social worker, can make a world of difference. And so from that starting point, that one-to-one service model, um, and uh that's where uh the, the buddy program emerged and then the miracle money uh, direct cash transfer program emerged. Um, you know, one individual on the streets uh I once asked who, who suffered from schizophrenia, who wasn't necessarily the kind of person who might be ready for a phone buddy program or a reconnection, um, you know, severe schizophrenia. I asked them, you know, what would you like to tell people about yourself that they don't know that you wish that they did? And the responses stuck with me, which was, I just wish that people knew that I was so much more of a threat to myself than I ever would be to them. And I share that because I think what COVID-19 has really reaffirmed is how invaluable it is that we're in relationship with our own house neighbors, that we have at least one or two people who takes the time to hear each person's story, understand what they're facing, and create this pretty bespoke service plan uh, that meets their needs, their experiences, their histories, um, and doesn't treat homelessness as a monolith But treats it as uh, a friend a family a a neighbor issue that affects all of us so
0: thanks kevin and i want to remind our audience here please i think you have question cards please feel free to write them and they'll be sent up here to ask questions Um, coming from our uh, folks watching online um, kevin what's the greatest false assumption we tend to make about those who are homeless
1: we're seeing a very, very small percentage of the overall homeless population. And it's very easy to see someone who's experiencing homelessness and, you know, talking to themselves, perhaps, you know, soiled with a cardboard sign and say that that's homelessness and that person deserves as much support as we can give them, you know, perhaps there's the mental health issues, drugs, substance abuse, but the much larger majority of people experiencing homelessness you may not even recognize you know um you wouldn't know that that person is is homeless Uh, so i think just being able to see people beyond the kind of physical state and hear the backstory and even folks who uh, may appear visibly homeless um you know i've been overwhelmed hearing who the person is, what their dreams are, what their stories are. You know, I've had a few invitations to housewarming parties mm-hmm. for people that we've been able to house. And at first I was like, well, what is this? Yeah, I'm going to a house. Am I supposed to do this? And it occurred to me, I mean, it's, it's basic. Wow, this person was experiencing homelessness, but they're no longer homeless. Mm-hmm. That was a period of their life. Um, And so I think getting away from this permanency, almost like a scarlet letter of H Mm -hmm. that our unhoused neighbors have on their chests, that it's a permanent identity and being able to see that yes, homelessness comes in many facets and hues, but it has much more to do with systemic brokenness in our society, criminal justice system, uh, costs, healthcare, racism, discrimination, um, you know, lack of support for substance abuse and, breakdowns in our humanity than it does about individual failings and so i i would say that uh, the biggest misnomer is that because someone's experiencing homelessness they did something wrong uh, i think we have to really look in the mirror about our own humanity on how we show up for each other as well as the systems that uh, you know one out of every two americans is a paycheck away from not being able to pay rent and 40 percent over 40 percent self-report not knowing where they'd get 400 dollars for an unexpected emergency and so there's this question that i sometimes ask myself ponder which is not what we always ask which is why are there so many people experiencing homelessness it's why aren't there tens of millions of people experiencing homelessness why aren't there more people experiencing homelessness and what we found is it's family and friends social support community church synagogue mosque informal economy that can make up that difference. Um, and I think your, your story, Gloria really, uh, is, is great evidence of that. So
0: from our online audience again, what reconnection with a homeless person's family has moved you most?
1: Oh gosh, pick your favorite, uh, story. Um, there was one recently that, uh, that touched my heart, um, very deeply uh we had an individual ray who came in actually through his through uh, our phone buddy program miracle friends and he got matched with his friend jen and they formed a very quick immediate bond and uh you know ray and jen would have weekly calls jen would be checking in on ray did you go to work today how are you feeling he was working at a COVID-19 testing facility, trying to save every dollar. Um, and no housing provider was willing to rent to him because of his situation of homelessness and, you know, past uh credit. And so he, when he got selected for miracle money uh, by Jen's nomination, uh, he said he had two goals. One was to get stable housing. And the second was to reconnect to his daughter. And uh, he saved every dollar he, he, got through miracle money and initially he wanted to turn it down. He said, I've already received so much from my friend, Jen. Isn't there someone who needs it more than me? I mean, incredible human being. Uh, But he was able to save every dollar and find a friend uh, that was willing to, uh, to have him as a roommate in, uh, in Kansas. So he, he packed up, he moved to Kansas, but before he moved, uh, he told Jen his desire to reconnect to his daughter. And it just so happened, coincidentally, not even involving our digital detectives. Uh, he's told about his daughter and, uh, and the high school that she attends. And it turned out Jen was a teacher at the high school uh, where his, Ray's daughter attended. And more than that, she was, I think, a spiritual director and knew his daughter personally. And so he was able, she was able to facilitate a reconnection. And uh, just a few weeks ago, Ray sent me a, a photo, a text of him and Jen at his high school, uh, or his daughter's high school graduation. And, uh, the mask was there, but the smile was right underneath it. You could just see it. And that, that was really poignant that, uh, we could play a role in that reunion. So.
0: What have you learned about mental health treatment or lack thereof?
1: Lack thereof is, uh, is a better starting point. Wow. Um, It's it's this is going to sound cliche. It's it's so misunderstood. Um, I'll share a couple things. So, uh, I had a chance to go to to Israel and spent um, spent some time in the in the Negev Desert under the stars, and I was able to do this ancient Jewish spiritual practice called. I think I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, uh, but I think it's called Hitbaddut. And it translates to essentially talking to God aloud for a period of time, kind of extemporaneously, just what comes out of the soul. And I was doing this under the stars, Negev desert, you know, with a group of uh, a group I was there with. And uh, I could not believe what I was saying to myself. Uh, Incredible uh, expressions of um, frustration towards myself, self-loathing in, crazy critique you're not doing this right you don't know how to do this you've lost these opportunities you made a mistake finances relationships friendships just battering myself to no ends and it wasn't until the last minute or so of this exercise i was so exhausted by what i was saying that i almost just stopped and looked and noticed the moon for the first time and i just i started crying and because of my first word after mom and dad when i was a Little kid was moon <laughs> and I wondered I, I you know could look so carefree as a young child and say "Moon, but what had I lost over the last thirty something years that I couldn't just see with that purity of heart, and what happened is I get back to San Francisco, and the next time I see a person experiencing homelessness who's walking around talking to themselves aloud, it got me just to wonder whether they were saying something that we needed to be said that we just were not listening to that. We didn't understand. And I know that mental illness and comes in many forms of severity, but it was just a yet another reminder how we all face mental health issues. Mental illness is not something exclusive to our unhoused neighbors, uh, but to have that kind of solidarity, empathy that you take the time to listen, to have a conversation. Um, that was something that, I hadn't been providing even to myself and uh you know i invite everyone who's listening to think about how much space you give for yourself to really understand what you're facing and in turn how do we how much space do we give to our unhoused neighbors uh, so i think that's uh you know and the last thing i'll say on that is my, my uncle mark was severely schizophrenic i mean it's a different level and um i often ask would, would mir- miracle messages in our services been appropriate for my uncle mark mm-hmm. And the answer I've come to is it depends on the day. Some days were really good days. He was on his medicine. Other days, not so much. Bad day, you know, disruptive, a lot of agony, you know, frustration. But I like to think that we'd live in a society where any day, whether it was a good day or a bad day for Uncle Mark, that um, a program like Miracle Messages and services like this would exist.
0: So I'll comment on that one a little bit, too. Um, So um, there's a lot to say about mental health care and mental health services. Um, What I will say is that having basic needs met makes things a lot better. Mm -hmm. So um, for my sister, having her housing, her food, heat, utilities, transportation... Um, medical care, care for her pets, um, her mental health issues um, are less um, intrusive Mm. um, because, you know, she's in her own home. She's got her environment around her. And um, so it doesn't mean that they're not there, but it means that she can get by and you know, has a way to live um, where her mental health issues are not as uh, prominent Mm. in her life. Mm. There's a lot more to say than that, but um, that's one thing I've observed over 15 years. Um, Question again from our online audience. I have a family member with like issues, but the financial care priorities uh, are his infirm parents who housed him for over 10 years. Is a group home better for such cases to build relational skills?
1: I, I wouldn't even begin to say I would not know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And again, I'll just comment and say that um, for some people probably yes, but others may have difficulty in a group home. Yeah. Again, in our model, in my experience, um, a separate living space has been mm-hmm. important, but of course, in the Bay Area, housing prices are such that this would never be possible. Um, so, yeah. well, I don't know what that suggests beyond that. Perhaps uh, some other well, some other areas may have better capacities to house.
1: Yeah, the house only people. the only slight I don't know the situation of the the uh, the, the viewer online, but um, the the only might uh, kind of nugget of suggestion I'd add. Is I've actually been surprised over the last seven years doing this work, how many conversations that maybe feel like faux pas that you can't have in the right time place, depending on the relationship you can have. Um, and so, uh, you know, when people ask, well, I'm nervous, I'm not sure what to say to a person experiencing homelessness. It's actually okay to say just that like, Hey, I, I saw you wanted to say hi. wasn't quite sure what to say. Uh, but just felt compelled to come over and say, hi, you know, how's your day going? Um, And so I I just wonder if uh, if it would be appropriate to have that conversation with the individual about what uh, what they'd like. Mm -hmm. So
0: good point. Yeah. Do you plan to be involved in the guaranteed income programs that are launching? If you could provide local governments that are launching similar pilots or programs, uh, any advice or insight? What, What would it be?
1: That's yeah, an important question uh, because we hear, you know, UBI all over the place now and pilots are popping up as they should. This is great. This is, uh, you know, a, I think a more effective, humane model. And I, I believe as organizations like mine, we should look in the mirror and say, would we be more effective if we just disbanded and distributed funds to people experiencing homelessness or whatever the care group that we work with? There is a lot of uh, excess uh, in this space where maybe you're not focused on success, getting people housed, the services they need, but it's more about offering units of service. So that's a little bit of a side point. Um, I would say, uh, great UBI basic income guaranteed income pilots so necessary, but there's so much more that's needed than just that. And what we've seen is, and I'll just speak to one element, the relational piece if we did not have the phone buddy piece connected to our miracle money pilot, I don't think the results would have been nearly as impressive of 50% housed. Um, you know, I think as service providers and, and as maybe as a society writ large, it's it, we like to kind of look for the silver bullet on these things. There's there really isn't one, you know, as, as your slides indicated as the nuanced conversations that are required with our unhoused neighbors require, uh, so I would say, um, you know, there, there was a study uh, that came before ours uh, out of Canada called the New Leaf Project, and they, I think they gave around $7,500 one-time lump sum to people experiencing homelessness over 18 months and tracked their progress. And I asked them, how on earth did you keep your attrition rate relatively low? I think it was a third people dropped out of the program. How did you get... You know two-thirds of people to stay on a monthly basis doing surveys check-ins storytelling after they'd already received the funds you know Uh, and the response was so interesting which was that the unhoused individuals receiving those funds formed almost an informal bond with the survey administrators and even though they were just literally going through questions on a on a list and kind of speaking verbatim the script There was a kind of, wow, this person's seeing me. I'm feeling known. I I can share my progress. I can talk about my setbacks. And this person month to month cares. And so what I would say is let's not have that as an afterthought of these programs where it's just kind of informally and by coincidence built into some really friendly service or survey administrators. Let's think critically on how financial poverty and relational poverty can be addressed uh, together.
0: We are getting towards the end of our program, unfortunately. a last question, does Miracle Messages offer professional support to families wanting to help their formerly homeless relatives, since many people might need help getting started and navigating a difficult situation?
1: Uh, We we do, and uh, it's been one of the biggest collective knowledge bases that we've developed of uh over and over again seeing what families face even after the reconnection it's not like it suddenly is a magic wand and now poof all the underlying issues the traumas go away it's a starting point the door is open Uh, but what we try to do is um you know provide resources support to those family members um, that reconnect to loved ones we also. Didn't speak about this too much, but we have a number of families that reach out to us looking for their unhoused neighbors Mm -hmm. Um, And we've done about 70 of those seemingly needle in a haystack Reunions, you know, my brother bill is somewhere in san francisco. Can you find them? So, uh, you know, our core thing at miracle messages is to meet people where they're at That begins with our unhoused neighbors But it extends to the families the friends the social supports as well as our own volunteers, you know, we're very protective to make sure our community members, people who join us as digital detectives, as, uh, as phone buddies, miracle friends, um, that they feel comfortable with the work that they're doing, that they feel supported, um, you know, and uh, I think this, that the power of presence, you know, is, is underestimated and that, uh, you know, a quote from my favorite, one of my favorite TED Talks, That, you know, the opposite of uh, uh, the opposite of addiction is not recovery, it's connection. And so I think being able to be in relationship with each other, walk the journey uh, with our friends, our family members and our unhoused neighbors and our community member uh, can can make leaps towards uh, addressing this human rights crisis of our day.
0: Thank you, Kevin. Um, You know. I hope that um, Kevin's insight seven years ago that direct action can be taken to assist those experiencing homelessness uh, will will, uh, come to mind next time you see a tent encampment or people uh, lying on the street or in shanties um, and you'll think about the the fact that this is not just a big daunting public policy problem this is an individual uh, this problem an issue that can be addressed individually and through relationship as kevin says there are various ways to go about it something we can all impact whether very intensively, as my family and I have in one case, whether a hundred for hundreds of people, as Kevin and miracle messages are doing, uh, or through other methods. So I hope perhaps this has uh, provided some insights uh, as we our society now copes with a much larger number of folks who are experiencing homelessness. Um, Thank you for your insight, uh, Kevin, seven years ago and today. Thank you for being uh, willing to experiment, as with the Miracle Money project. Uh, You're not afraid. You're a social entrepreneur. You come up with ideas and you try them out. Uh, I think it's very brave work, and so thank you for doing that work. I'm Gloria Duffy, president and CEO of the Commonwealth Club, and this program is now adjourned. Thank you.